have a great team here. I mean, just seeing these people here, amen. I mean, that is incredible. Like, uh, as uh, you, if you're new, you may not know who I am. I'll introduce myself a little more thoroughly here in a second. But my name is Joel Seymour, founding pastor of the Vineyard, which is old. And, uh, and so, uh, uh, but it, it brings so much joy to my heart to see the people on stage here. And, you know, like none of them like, uh, had to do that. Like none of them had to say yes to this. Like they had perfectly good lives. They had good jobs. Uh, with way better benefits, and uh, like they didn't need to say yes, except they did because uh, God called them to those roles, and they said yes. And I got to tell you, I have so much expectation and excitement for what's going to happen with this team as they equip all of us to do the work of ministry, and it just feels like the Lord is setting up our church, not only to impact the people who are sitting here right now, but to impact all the people who aren't. I'm, I, I just got great anticipation. So, again, my name is Joel Seymour, and I uh, planted the church 24 years ago, and in January, I decided, that I felt like the Lord had said last year that he was calling me to work for Vineyard USA. It's the first time Vineyard has had, like, a lot of full-time employees to help pastor churches and pastor pastors of churches. So I pastor or, or help serve about 192 vineyard churches in three different regions. There's like 550 vineyard churches in the U.S. and uh, anywhere from, it's hard to get a good count, but something like 2,500 to 3,000 around uh, the country. And so uh, this is what I do now, and I travel a lot. That's probably why some of you, if you're new, you've not, you've not, you've not seen me, but that's because I, I travel a lot. And, and with the travel, I mean, travel's travel. I mean, I was somewhere like, I think mid-May, I calculated 50% of my flights have been delayed or canceled. <laughs> so, so travel isn't all that it's, it's cracked up to be at times. But there is some good news in travel. Would you like to hear some good news? Okay, I'll give you some good news. Uh, last weekend, I was in Toledo, and then I spent the Sunday in the state up north, Midland, Michigan, for some services. And, um, but when I was at, in Toledo, when we're finishing dinner, my, my hosts, Bill and Barb Herzog, Christy and I have been friends with them since 1994. Uh, they're 70 years old, and they're just going for it, man. They're, they're, their church meets right in the heart of Toledo in a, in a giant coffee shop. They're engaged in the city. They're engaged with all the pastors, things they're just doing a great job of it. Well, we went out to dinner, and after dinner, Barb says, would you like some ice cream? And I'm like, what, what kind of a question is that? I mean, like, the answer is yes. I don't care when, it's yes. So she goes, there's this great ice cream spot called Handles. Now, Handles uh, was started in 1945 by Alice Handel in Youngstown. And one summer, during the summer heat, she created her own recipes with fresh fruit and ice cream. It became a hit. Now they're like all over the U.S. And so we get up there, and there's like 30 handmade flavors of this deliciousness. And I can't decide what to do. And I tell Barb that. I said, what do you suggest? And she goes, the four-scoop sampler. Well, Bob, sign me up. And so I get the four-scoop sampler seen here. Peanut chocolate brownie. Snappy turtle. Snappy turtle is like chocolate ice cream with a turtle sundae infused into it. Uh, 
peach ice cream with real like slices, not fake, like real slices of, of peaches in there. And then Graham Central Station, uh, which is graham cracker flavored ice cream with graham crackers shoved in with honeycombs. Like not the kind bees live in, but the cereal. Like honeycombs that have been drenched and marinated in honey shoved into this thing. Best served with an insulin chaser, by the way. I mean, it was like, <laughs> I mean, this stuff was good. That's good news right there, man. If you are somewhere, I think there's two in the Columbus area, like Powell and Lewis Center. But if you are somewhere in Columbus that has a handles and you like ice cream, you need to grab you some of that tastiness. That is good news that I just had to share. I had some, I got, want more good news? Yeah. I got good news, man. So I met my mom for, for lunch on Thursday, which, you know, won me some merit points with her, you know. So I did that. We had a great lunch. And we go to downtown Bistro, and, and I said, yeah, what's the special? And they said, we have a Parmesan walleye. Like a Parmesan walleye? Let me see this. And so that's what I ordered. That is like one giant filet of walleye fresh from the Hocking River. Um, <laughs> It swam through a couple abandoned refrigerators and shopping carts to get to me. But it lightly crusted, crusted Parmesan. It was actually healthy for you. Like, it hadn't been fried. It was, like, healthy. And all it came with was a salad. So, like, that's good news. Tasty and healthy. That was a little better than the, than the ice cream. Now, the ice cream, by the way, we felt so guilty. We had walked three and a half miles in the morning. When we got home from eating the four-scoop sampler, we walked, like, two and a half miles at night. Just, you know, which still didn't account for the ice cream we'd ate. But good news. Well, today I want to talk about good news. You know, we are, we are Vineyard, and uh, this is who we are. And so what does it mean to be a, a Vineyard church? We, we have what I believe is a, is a charism. Uh, it comes from the word charisma, or charismatic. It means a gift. We have a charism as, as a Vineyard church and as a Vineyard movement that, that I, I believe God has given us a gift that's supposed to be a gift for the whole church and the gift for our city and the gift for the world. In fact, by the way, I think Baptists have a charism. I think Lutherans have one. I think Methodists have one. I think Catholics have one. That all of us, like none of us by ourselves can really show the full facet of God's beauty and greatness. But together, if we all play our part, we begin to shine a light on a different facet of God. And together, collectively, as the whole body of Christ, we become a gift to the world. And, and I think we actually have a unique gift, just like all those other movements I just said. We have a unique gift. Uh, some Something, a, a sacred trust that we're to bring to the table that God has given us to steward that's supposed to shine light on the character of God. And I think a large part of that revolves around how we see good news. You know, over the next three weeks, we're doing a series called We Are Vineyard, and we're going to just highlight some unique things about the vineyard movement. And I hope that over these three weeks, you are, you are refreshed by that. If you've if you're been here a long time, man, I hope, it, I hope it refreshes you. I hope you re-up. I hope you go, yeah, this is what I love about what God's called our church to do. I love all the other churches, but I like this one and this unique thing God's called us to do, and I want to be a part of it. hope that refreshes you. If you're exploring Christ or exploring a church family, I hope the next three weeks is clear enough for you that you can make an informed decision if, if this is the place that you're called to be. And man, if you are, if you're not even sure if you're a follower of Jesus or what this whole Christian thing's about, I mean, let me just 
be real honest. I, man, I, I hope it entices you. I hope there is something said and demonstrated that you go, man, I want that. I want to be a part of that. As much as you might already are salivating if you like walleye or ice cream, <laughs> my prayer is, is by the end of this series, in fact, by the end of this teaching, I pray you'll be salivating because you want more of God and you want to be a part of what God is a part of. And so that's my prayer uh, for, for the series and for today. So, so what is the good news? Like, let's just start from the beginning. We think about the vineyard. We are vineyard. Who are we as a church? What is the good news? Like, when you hear that phrase, good news, it also, also is equivalent to the word gospel. You may have heard the word gospel. Like, what do you think of when you think of gospel or good news? Just think for a few moments, whether you grew up in church world or you've never been in the church world. What is, what is gospel? What is good news? What's that mean in church lingo? Now, some people think of good news as you stop, you say a prayer, you ask Jesus into your life, you, you stop having fun, you go to heaven. I mean, uh, other people think of good news as like, well, at least you get to spend eternity in heaven and not hell. And if you go to heaven, it's like one gigantic eternal church service. Well, okay. Um, not, that sounds like, no, just kidding. Uh, you know, like, that's the good news. Um, it's, some of it, it's like, get your sins forgiven, go to church every week. And if you're really serious about it, maybe pray every day, read your Bible, do something like that, serve in nursery. Um, what do you think of when you hear the word good news? Now, I, I grew up in church, um, and here's how I would have answered that up until about age 20. I would have probably said that the good news is, is it starts with some bad news. You and I are sinners. We're under God's wrath. Um, we deserve justice from him and judgment. And, uh, but the good news is Jesus Christ came. He lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sins, rose from the dead, proving that he beat sin and Satan and sickness and death. And if you ask him into your heart, you will go to heaven. That would been good news. And there's some good news in there, right? I'd much rather go to heaven than hell. Um, there's only one problem with that description of good news, and, and, and there's actually a couple problems. One is, like, Jesus preached the good news before any of those events I said happened. So, like, the good news need, it has to be broader than just that. And so, we got to discover, like, what did Jesus— it, in, it includes the things I said— but it's much broader than that. And in fact, if you look at the early church, and you look at Jesus, you look at the book of Acts, which is a recording of the early church, the, the good news was rarely preached as simply as I just said it. Like it was much broader. So what is the good news? Answer that, and I think we will find part of Vineyard's unique charism, unique gift to the world. Uh, I, I believe that this gift... Uh, to the world is something that we need at this cultural moment. If you want to talk about integrity and character, transparency and honesty and transformation, uh, making a difference in the world, being a part of God's mission in the world, what justice truly is. Uh, if, you want to, if you want to talk about uh, things that hit our airwaves all the time like, and then hit our cities like racial reconciliation, if you want to talk about these big topics, like actually the good news of Jesus actually has something to say about those things. It's important for this, this, this cultural moment. And if you're the kind of person that doesn't want to just hear lectures on, on these topics or just hear a talk, you don't want to just be a spectator, but you actually want to be active in making a difference in the world, then the good news has something for you. So let's take a look at the good news. Turn to Luke chapter 4. 
And this is where Jesus' ministry begins. I'll look at it in just a second, but I'll catch up to speed. So far in salvation history, there's been about 400 years of silence from God. There doesn't seem to be any prophetic words for 400 years. There doesn't seem to be any direct communication from God. Uh, the, his people, the Israelites, are, have been uh, subjected to the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks, and now they're under the, the, the subjugation of the Romans, and they're oppressed, and, and there's not a lot going on. But then all of a sudden, a flurry of activity happens in Luke chapter 1, we have angels and prophets and prophetesses. We have a miraculous birth that, that God in the flesh is coming through, through a virgin named Mary, and she gives birth to a son who's 100% human, 100% God. His name is Jesus. He's declared to be the Savior. He's going to be, bring peace to individuals and to the world. He is God's Messiah, the agent everybody has been waiting for to come onto the scene. And then and there's not much for like 30 years. He's like a carpenter. He builds some nice chairs and tabletops and stuff but there's not a whole lot. And then at age 30, he shows up and he's baptized in a river and he comes up out of the water and a, and a dove flies and lands on him and it symbolizes he's being filled with the Holy Spirit and the prophet that baptizes him says, this is the guy we've all been waiting for. He's the Lamb of God. We sang about that, right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb of God. This is the Lamb, meaning he's the sacrificial offering. And we celebrated that with communion. His body was broken eventually. His blood was spilled. He was sacrificed for our sins. So this is the guy. And then he goes away for like 40 days of testing by Satan. And he proves a worthy agent of God because he defeats Satan. And he begins to preach around Israel. And people begin to take notice. And he comes back to his hometown of Nazareth for a church service at a synagogue. And see what happens in Luke 4, verse 16. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. On the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. Put your finger there. We'll get to that in a second. Um, we don't know a ton about synagogue life, but what we think happened in first century Judaism is they would gather on Saturday for the Sabbath. And either the synagogue ruler of that local synagogue or the guest speaker would pick the scroll. And then whatever scroll was picked, meaning book of the Bible, the Old Testament, then the guest speaker would pick the passage. And that day it was Isaiah that either Jesus picked or the synagogue ruler picked, but then Jesus picked a specific passage. He stood up to read, which was a, as an act of reverence in their culture, and then he sat down to teach. And here is what he what he taught. And by the way, he's reading words that were written 700 years before he was born, and it's about God's agent and what he would do when he's on the planet. It says this in verse 18, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah prophesied that a day would come when the rescuer would be full of the very Spirit of God. And Jesus was. And he said the Spirit would do three things in this passage. This man filled with the Spirit. Here's his three things. He would preach good news to the poor. Now, the poor is not just the economic poor in biblical thinking, but in the, the land and the era that Jesus lived, the poor would be anybody who would be seen as less than or outside of God's program for the world. The poor could include women because women weren't as revered as men. It could include Gentiles, people who 
were not of the right, quote unquote, race to be chosen by God because they weren't Israelites. The poor could be people with certain diseases that would keep them from going to temple. You, it could, the poor would include those who didn't have the right education, for those who didn't have the right vocation, the right job. Those who didn't keep all 616 laws of the Old Testament might be seen as poor. Those who weren't as committed to following God as other people thought they were could be considered poor. Jesus comes and he says, I've got good news for all the outsiders. All the spat upon and rat upon who thought they would never get into the kingdom. I have good news. And here is the good news. Part of the good news is just that everybody gets in, right? Like everybody can hear the good news and have a choice to be a part of it. But then he says, here's two things about the good news. It is a release from Satan's power. Jesus uses the word when he uses free or freedom. There's three variations at three times in this passage where in the original language, the word release is used. And he says, part of the good news is this, that you can be released from Satan's power. In Luke and Acts, release is used to mean released from uh, sins, a restoration that forgiveness and salvation brings. It had spiritual and social ramifications. Release is also used in the book of Luke and Acts. It's written by the same guy. That's why I'm saying Luke and Acts. It also is used to release people from demonic powers that influence them. The word release is used throughout Luke and Acts when people are healed of diseases. They're said to be released physically. They're released from their illness. They're released from the effects of the fallen world, the effects of sin and Satan being rampant on what, what, what once used to be God's good earth. They're being released. The healings are never just physical in Luke and in Acts. They always signify wholeness and freedom from both diabolical, evil, and social restrictions. There's also another part of the good news. Not only is it good news for the poor, everybody that thought they, they wouldn't qualify, it, it, it's release from Satan's power, but it's also release from debts. He uses this word, and he, he, Jesus at the end of that passage talks about the year of the Lord's favor, released from oppression. And if you have time sometime, you might want to read Le, Leviticus 25. When God originally set up his society in Israel, he had ways for debt forgiveness. Every seven years, anybody that was in so much debt that they had to sell themselves and, and their families into slavery to pay the debt, they'd be set free every seven years. Every seven years, the land, the farmland, was released from work. God said, let it rest. Let it be rejuvenated that seventh year. Every 50th year, those same things happened. Debts were canceled. Slaves were set free um, if they'd sold themselves into slavery because of personal debts or their family members. Um, uh, the land was allowed to rest. And every 50th year was called the year of Jubilee because all land that had been bought and sold, which primarily happened because people didn't have money and they needed to pay off debts, so they sold their family inheritance. Every 50 years, God set up a system where the land would revert back to the original family that owned that land. Well, over time, this went from like a physical, literal thing to becoming a metaphor for the day when God himself would come to the planet. He would declare a year of jubilee, and people would be released from oppression, released from injustice, released from evil, both personal in their heart and also the evil of the world and the systems of this world and the powers of Satan. There would be a release from these things. It represented a transformed new heaven and new earth. Now, this world is a tough place. 
People feel like outsiders. They're lonely. They feel under the weight of to-do lists and debts, both financial, emotional, relational. We're all trying to constantly pay those things off. People are aware. They're, they're not the kind of people that they wish they were. Some people feel trapped in bad habits or hurts or addictions or anxieties and stress. We've been promised freedom by so many people and so many ads and so many things that come our way, and yet nobody is really truly free. And along comes Jesus, and he says, there is a day coming when God will show up and make your brokenness whole, release you from the debt of condemnation and a guilty conscience, set you free from the demonic powers and thoughts that imprison you and bad habits and sin that imprison you, and he will heal your diseases inside and out. No matter how far outside you think you might be out of what God would want or who he's looking for, Jesus says the good news will be for you. He's come for the poor, which is everybody who thought they were outsiders. Jesus read that scripture and he looked forward to that day, but when would that day happen? Take a look at verses 20 and 21. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying today, to them, today. Can you just say that word with me? Today. That wasn't really convincing. Can you say today? Here we go. One, two, three. Today. I, I, I almost believe half of you. If we just say it one more time, maybe. And I hate it when pastors make me repeat things, so I'm, I'm just doing it now. I'm a hypocrite. Can you just say it? One, two, three. Now, I want, you to, I want you to realize 400 years of silence from God. Before that, this prophecy, 700 years before Christ. Now, Jesus, a country bumpkin, itinerant pastor in the hillbilly Israel called Galilee, which is what Galilee was seen as, you know, my people, <laughs> southeastern Ohio, <laughs> he has the audacity to say today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Like the things that have been prophesied 700 years before, the things you've been waiting for 400 years when it's been silent, today, now all of a sudden that prophecy takes on a little more meaning. Did you hear me emphasize when I read the first couple of scriptures? The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. <laughs> he has sent me to proclaim good news. He says it's starting today. Derek Morphew, a, a uh, pastor, theologian from South Africa, a vineyard pastor, says, Jesus has come to set people free from every kind of bondage. This makes it good news. Dallas Willard says, the good news is how to get into heaven before you die. Good news is for this life and the next, for the good of all creation. The good news, according to Jesus, is you can be delivered from Satan's kingdom. The good news is you can be delivered from God's wrath. We don't like to talk a lot about this, but you and I have two choices, and it started with our first ancestors. Our first ancestors unplugged from life with God and under his good rule and reign, which is the best kind of life you could hope for. We actually call it heaven when God is 100% ruling and reigning and people live under that. Adam and Eve chose to not live under his reign, but to live under his wrath. And we don't like to talk about that, but wrath is a good thing. If you have ever been a victim of a crime, wrath and judgment and justice is good, right? 
Like if the government wouldn't enforce the law and lets a criminal go who stole something from you or hurt you or murdered a family member, you would call that what? An injustice. But it's not just in the legal terms. This stuff exists in a cosmic plane too. That you and I have ratified what Adam and Eve did thousands of years ago. We too have unplugged under God and we have told God, we know a better way to live. We don't need the Creator to tell us how to live. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to decide right and wrong for ourselves. And there's only two choices. You either live under the goodness of God or you live under His justice. I, for one, would much rather live under His grace because mercy triumphs over judgment. I don't want to do it on my own. We're delivered from God's wrath because Jesus, although he always stayed here, even said he, he defeated Satan on 40 days of temptation. He didn't give in. He was tempted in every way every man and woman could be tempted, and yet he never sinned. He's under this, and yet for you, he chose to step out of this and to be under God's judgment and wrath so that all of that would fall on him and not fall on you. The good news is you're delivered from Satan's bondage. You are delivered from God's judgment. And you're not just delivered from Satan's kingdom, you're actually delivered into God's kingdom. Like you and I can actually, and that's what Willard meant when he said, the good news is you can get to heaven before you die. <laughs> like you can actually begin to get transformed now. You can actually become the kind of person who'd like heaven. If you're not interested in worshiping God and having good relationships and having community and, and being honest and transparent with people, I mean... I don't know that you'll like heaven. I mean, it's just not going to be good for you. The good news is you can actually get transformed into the kind of person that actually like heaven. You can begin to live like that now. You can begin to be, be a kind of person that has no condemnation and doesn't receive condemnation, nor do they give it to other people. You can become the kind of person who is comfortably committed to doing what God says. I don't know about you, I still got areas in my life that's not comfortably committed, right? Like I read a verse, like, oh, do I have to? <laughs> like, but I could also tell you lots of verses that over time, because I'm living under the rule and reign of God, I don't even think about doing them anymore. Like it would actually take me work to do the wrong thing because I've been transformed. I wish that was every area of my life. It's not yet. But that's the process you can be in in the kingdom of God. See, the good news is this. It's proclamation, but it must include good news demonstration for it to be the kind of good news Jesus preached. I was blessed when I grew up in that little church I was telling you about in Groveport where I heard the good news probably for the first time. At age seven, I go forward during a revival meeting. I hit the altar. I cry a lot. I receive Jesus because I don't want to go to hell. I want my sins forgiven. I'd done a lot of bad things by seven years old. I can't remember any of them, but I'm sure they were there. And, um, and so I got saved. But it wasn't just good news proclamation at that church. It was demonstration. Had an aunt and uncle to take in a single mom and her only son and has a place for them to live in their house. Men in that church took me under their wing and helped raise me, show me how to do some stuff. That's a demonstration. Helped us out at times when we needed help with bills or gave us gifts or gave us food. That's good news demonstration. The good news proclamation was I could be delivered from God's wrath, I could be delivered from Satan's kingdom, and I could be delivered into God's kingdom. But the good news demonstration was all those things I just said. Now, I started with good news about ice cream. 
what would have been better for you is if I had enough to give to everybody, right? <laughs> the demonstration would have proved my proclamation. You would have went, that's even better than he described it. This is awesome. I would give my life for this, right? You know, like, yeah. <laughs> my friends, that's the gospel of Jesus. It can't just be proclaimed. It has to be demonstrated this week. Wednesday, if I, my memory serves me right, 127 families come through our food pantry. They got the good news. They got it proclaimed to them. All are welcome, the good news, to the poor, not just the economic poor, but anybody who might see themselves as an outsider. You're welcomed. They're shared the love of Jesus. And then it's demonstrated as people say, can I pray for you right now? Here's, here's loads of groceries for you. Do you get it? Good news has to be proclamation and demonstration. Proclamation is definitely important. We won't have time to get into it, but Romans 10 says that you have to declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead and you have to begin to follow him as Lord. But then it goes and says, like, faith comes by hearing. How will anybody be able to give their life to Christ unless somebody says the words? And how can anybody say the word unless they're sent to go out? So you got to have both. You got to say it. God has set up some weird system where like air goes through my vocal cords as I'm talking to you right now. And, and, and you felt it, I think, is that the word comes out and there's like vibrations in the air. It hit your eardrum and your faith is more built up, I would say right now, than it was at 9.55 a.m. say, why is that? Well, that's how it works. It's got to be said. It's got to be spoken then it hits your eardrums and you can decide to have faith and believe it or not. And the feeling I have at this moment is that many of you have begun to choose Jesus. Your faith is being built up. You have to speak it. You have to demonstrate it. Jesus was a word worker. He proclaimed it. Then he also demonstrated it. And the good news is everybody gets to play in that. So let's land this plane. What I love about Jesus' preaching here is this. It forces a decision. It just forces one. Like you can't get up and read 700-year-old prophecies and go, today's the day and I'm the guy. <laughs> like you just can't do that and, and then just sit and go, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of on the fence. There's no fence. Like there's no fence here, right? Like think about that crowd when they heard that. It's either this guy's a lunatic or he's right on. We see three responses, and, and we don't have time to read it, but if you want to read the rest of four and, and chapter five when you go home today, you, you're welcome to do that. But the crowd goes from like, man, this is one of our hometown guys. I grew up with him. I made a table with him once. He let me sand the leg, you know, whatever. Um, uh, they go from that to going, we need to throw the guy off the cliff on the side of Nazareth. And the reason was, is because he presses into that good news to the poor. In the rest of chapter 4, he begins to say, Gentiles, people who worship pagans and, or worship idols and don't worship God, people who don't have the right race, the right background, the right culture, the right country, the right religion, he goes, they're going to say yes to me before you do. Uh-oh. They try to throw him off a cliff and miraculously he just walks through the crowd. So even as I preach the good news, there, there's no doubt in my mind there may be people who you're, you're, you feel opposition rising. By the way, if you're feeling that, that's, I don't think um, 
forgive my hubris and pride here, I, I don't think that's just your decision. I think there's a war going on between the powers of evil and the powers of God, and they're fighting over your soul right now, and that's why opposition is rising up, because Satan would love nothing more than for you to say no to God's goodness and grace. Opposition is a choice. Openness to following Jesus is a choice. N.T. Wright says that throughout the Scriptures we hear this repent and believe in Jesus. Repent means to surrender one's agenda to Jesus' agenda. Repent means to surrender one's agenda for Jesus' agenda. It means to take on Jesus' kingdom in his ministry. Chapters 5 through 9 and throughout the book of Acts, we continue to see people who hear the word of Jesus and they say yes. He begins to go from today is the day of this being fulfilled. He begins to preach today is the day of good news. Today is the day for your salvation. And there are people in the room right now who need to make a decision to follow Jesus. And I have good news for you. Today is that day. Like today is the day when you can follow Jesus. Today is the day when you can give your life, when you can open up to him, when you can say, I don't know what it all means, Jesus, but I hear that you are good. I see that you're good. It's demonstrated. I feel your presence in the room. I feel your presence on my heart. I know you died for my sins. I know you went from over there to here and took on God's judgment and justice so I wouldn't have to. I want to be delivered from Satan's kingdom. I want to be delivered into your kingdom, and I want all my debts towards God forgiven. I want to live under the goodness of God. We see that happening in the scriptures. In a few moments, I'll give you a chance to declare that Jesus is Lord, to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and begin to follow him. And in that moment, you will experience the goodness of God. I promise. There's a third response, and the third response is not just be open to Jesus, but actually be on mission with Jesus. What we see in the next few chapters, chapter 5, is Jesus calls his first disciples. And it's interesting, when he preaches good news to them, and they've probably heard it before, but when he preaches good news to them, he doesn't say, follow me and I'll make your life better. Follow me, I'll make your family better. Follow me and I'll make your business successful. Follow me and I'll make your marriage more healthy. Although I think some of those things can happen. It's interesting, what he says is, follow me. You've been catching fish, I'm going to teach you how to catch people. Come on mission with me. And so we see throughout the New Testament, both in Luke and in the story of the early church in Acts, when people began to follow Jesus and they followed his great commission of wherever you go, make students of mine, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to do what I was doing when they do that, they proclaim the good news, and they demonstrate it. And you look in Acts, man, they, they heal the sick, they cast out demons, they help the poor. If you read Acts 6 and Acts 10 and 11, you'll see they work towards racial and cultural reconciliation. They're on the front lines of justice. They're doing real-world work to say, this is the kingdom. This is what it looks like when God's in charge in people's lives. There are people sitting here that you've been saved for a long time, and Jesus is inviting you to mission with him. And man, I think there's just some really easy ways to join him on mission right now in the life of our church. I love it that our church is, is so open to this. I mean, 127 people come through the food pantry? That's like a record. Like you could actually go and proclaim and demonstrate the gospel pretty easily by volunteering at the pantry. Like you get to do it. Like you all, you all sat on these. Some of them, the paper clip is on your back pocket. When you stand up, people are going to make fun of you because you're going to be walking around with these. But these are alpha cards. Like alpha is an incredible way. They're going to get an, you, there's people in your life that need Jesus. Alpha is all about 
going from discussion to community, giving people a safe place to ask questions about faith, not where they'll be debated, but where they're given the freedom to dialogue and share. And over time, they come to know Jesus. The videos are well-produced. They're like 15, 20-minute videos, and they are proclamation, man. It's just like between the eyes. But then the small group is a time for just openness and people even to um, resist the message. But over time, they learn who Jesus is, what sin is. There's a little Friday night, Saturday retreat, which is all about the Holy Spirit. And time and time again, people come there not even believing in Jesus, and they get zonked with the Holy Spirit. Like, you could ask somebody to go to Alpha. It starts in a couple weeks, September 13th. We even provide a card of if you're unsure how to invite people, it'll tell you how to do that. The video, and I think Johnny said it too, September 11th, there's like this, this time after church for what does it mean to partner with the vineyard? What's it mean to be a part of this church? Well, it, you're going to learn what it means to be on mission with Jesus. So there's just some easy ways to apply this to our lives. Good news proclamation must include good news demonstration for it to be the kind of news Jesus preached. We are the vineyard. We believe in word and works, proclamation and demonstration. And our world is hungry for this kind of good news. Mm-hmm.